Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Kevin Kaufman, your host of the Kevin and Fred Next Level Agents Podcast, the real estate podcast that brings you short business tips and tricks, as well as in-depth interviews with some of our industry's leading minds. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Brandon Green, thank you so much for joining me today, buddy. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me on on the program. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, uh, I appreciate it. You were one of the first people I thought of when I decided to to, uh, to start doing the, these podcast uh, style interviews. And um, the reason I did this is because I feel like I've been so fortunate to come across the people I've come across in the industry. Um, and I've learned so much from different people, one of those people being you. And so I just thought, you know, I, th- I thought it would be cool if I could just share this with more people um, because not everybody gets to sit in a small room with you in a mastermind for a long period of time, like every few months for a couple of years. Not everybody gets to go have coffee with guys like you and read more and, and some of the other people that uh, I've made strong relationships with. So I thought, man, I, I need to share this more. So oh, thank you. you. Oh, well, here we are. <laughs> I yeah. love it. Thanks. So I, I want to just jump right into it if you're okay with it. Yeah, let's do it. What, what I want to do is the last time you and I spoke in person, you were maybe not in the middle, but definitely in the heart of your, what you called your listening tour, which you did in summer of 2018, right? Right. So tell me about that. Where did the Where did the idea of this listening tour come from? And more importantly, what did you listen to? What was I listening to? Yes. Uh, so a very interesting story on that. I, I'd say it was probably, it was two years ago this fall where uh, I started to kind of get the sense that I wanted to to figure out kind of what was next. So I, I got into the real estate business in 2001. So I've been at it for a while. And you know, so a couple of years ago, I was trying to get my mind and my 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 sort of actions into the future a little bit more. It's kind of like, where are we going? Two years ago, a lot of change was starting to impact the industry, and there were far more questions than answers. And that started to just pop up some questions for me personally. About a year ago, then I looked at my enterprise and I said, okay. Could I actually step out of the day-to-day of the operations of all the different business enterprises I was involved in? And if I did, what would that mean? What would that look like? How would I arrange that to happen? Why would I want to do that to begin with? And so I decided a year ago that I would step out of the day-to-day of my various businesses and begin executing a plan to make the key hires over a period of several months that I'd been, many of which I'd been teeing up and relationships I'd been building, but I needed to like bring them into the organization and kind of deal with them. And, and I did that. And so in June of 2018, I, I stepped out of the day to day of all the different business endeavors that I have. And, and why, right? Why? Well, some, I think there's three different components that all intersected together at the same time. One is just me personally, right? So almost 20 years in the business, I was starting to just get a little bored. Uh, it was getting a little monotonous and and I felt like I had sort of iterated as far in the business as I felt like was that I really necessarily could. And so I was looking for just that personal discovery. I turned 41, right? So there's sort of like this, you, you turn 40 and you're like, what am I doing with my life kind of thing. And <laughs> Right. So, so there was all that going on that had nothing to do with the businesses. It was just me and my personal journey. 20 years into a business, I didn't necessarily purposefully step into, like many of us kind of just came together. And I thought I need to take a step back and breathe. Second is with all of the different change occurring in the, in the uh, industry itself, I couldn't quite see where the next thing was. And I felt like because I was so in the day-to-day, I was losing sight of the longer-term vision that as a leader, I feel like I really need. So I've always felt like I could see around the corner into the next thing pretty effectively, but given the amount of change going on, and I think coupled with how intense the business had become as it's gotten so big, I didn't have time to just think or or talk or look at anything other than the day-to-day fires that were going on, right? And you you know how that is. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
And, and I think the third is the business got to a size and scale where legitimately it needed somebody else to come in and run it. It needed more of a profile of a manager who could work to build out efficiencies and maximize margins. And look, I'm a launch guy. Like, give me something new and I'm all over it. <laughs> Two, three years in, you better get me out of there because I'm probably actually going to screw it up. And so overall, the organization had evolved to a place where it needed a new leader. So all of that led to me stepping out of the business entirely in, in June. And, and the best way I could describe what I was doing, because a lot of people are like, what the heck are you doing? I said, I'm going on a listening tour and I'm going to listen for whatever I can hear. Like, What's next for me? What's next for the industry? What do I want? Who am I in absence of my role and what I've identified with for so long? And that's what led to the listening tour in June of 2018. <laughs> that's awesome. So um, I guess so the next question is, what did you listen to <laughs> while you were on the tour? Like, what did you... What did you, I'm assuming you learned a few things, probably both about yourself and about the current uh, state of our, not just our industry in real estate, but probably quite a few other industries, I'm guessing, yes. based on you were listening to. So tell me, what did you listen to? What did you learn that maybe was unexpected or, or, or just maybe was just important that, that you learned? Well, first I realized I needed a pattern interrupt. I, I needed... I needed somehow to disconnect myself from the organization enough that I had a little bit more space. And so I went on the road. I literally told the team, I said, look, not only should you call another guy for all that stuff, I'm not even going to be in town for three months. So I purposefully literally left town for almost three months and went on the road. And, and I love to travel. So for me, that's, that's extremely energizing and it gives me a perspective that I need that I can't get at home. So I went on the road and toured all over the United States, went to Mexico three times. We went to Eastern Europe, you know, Vienna, Budapest, Prague. Just I spent three months on the road. And what I learned in all that was I actually learned how to listen to myself again. I, I had lost sight a little bit of my own heart. Like what was I actually wanting to do? Because I had gotten pretty tied up in what I thought I should do, what the industry seemed to require me to do in order to succeed in the future or what other people wanted me to do. I kind of got a little lost in all that just to be, to be blunt. And so the first half of the summer was just, you know, not listening to anybody else, but listening to myself and, and asking questions like, you know, in absence of my role, who am I and what am I up to? Like big existential questions. We don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about. And, and I was shocked. What, what did I learn? I learned that I didn't have any of those answers. Like, I can't tell you how many years I've spent in classes where you ask the big why question and the exercises I've written down and oh, you know, doo -doo -doo -doo. but when it came down to actually being faced with the reality of the question and being fortunate, fortunate enough to be in a position where I didn't have to work for money anymore, I didn't have any answers to those questions. So it was kind of humbling and a little shocking because I was like, man, I've done a lot of good work on myself. Like, where the hell are all these answers? <laughs> that, you know? was, was that scary for you at all? Totally scary. I, I thought, oh, my gosh, maybe I have completely defined my entire life around being a real estate agent, a real estate broker, a team leader, a mega agent and, you know, pick title of the day. I was like, wow, have I really defined the last 20 years of my life as that? Uh, or, or is there something else there? And what are the common threads? So yeah, it was scary. And it was um, uh, a bit upsetting, honestly, to, to think about that. Because I don't think we, I don't think we think of ourselves as what we do necessarily. I think we always hope that there's more to us than what we do every day. Right. And, and I certainly felt that way. But when actually not having to go into the office every day, and I'll give you a tactical, simple example you know, a cocktail party or something. And the first thing people say is, hey, what do you do? And I purposefully went into those scenarios wanting to come up with a slightly different answer other than, oh, I'm in the real estate business. Do you know anybody who's interested in buying or selling or investing in a piece of real estate, right? I was like, okay, what else do I say? And I completely stumbled. I, I mean, there were a couple times, I remember once I was in an Uber on the way to the airport and the Uber driver asked me, so what do you do? And I mumbled something that was so in incoherent 
that the guy was like, I don't understand. What what do you do? And I'm like, never mind. I don't know. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm on a listening tour. Leave me like alone. I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> exactly. Leave the airport. Stop talking. Turn the radio on. <laughs> so yes, it, it, that that has been um, uh, quite an interesting journey over the last few months. Too funny. Okay. Well, that's really cool. That was something that stuck out to me. You know, uh, you and I got to have dinner. I think it was in June, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, right in the middle of your or beginning of your listening tour. And um, and, and so it's kind of cool to kind of hear that perspective now that that's been a few months ago. Um, But hey, let's do this. Since this is really, this podcast is about real estate agents, right? It's for real estate agents. Um, I know you as this super high achiever real estate agent extraordinaire. Um, You've also got leadership experience in the real estate industry as far as building building brokerages, right? so can we go backwards a little bit in your yes, career? Yes. So now that we've talked about you spent 20 years doing that and now you're going, wait, what the hell am I doing again? Um, but let's go back because to yeah. even the point, I think where you can ask that question, I think it requires a lot of success anyways to, to just start asking those questions. So um, mm-hmm. let's go backwards. Tell me about your real estate career. how did you get started? And um, here's the deal. Here's what I really want to know. How does a kid that was born in Wyoming, grew up in Iowa, end up selling real estate in Washington, D.C.? That's what I want to know. Right, right. That's yes. part of the story, too. How the heck, right? <laughs> so I got into the real estate business in 2001. And it was it was actually, this is sort of funny and interesting. I was literally watching an infomercial late one night, dissatisfied with my life because I was in information technology staffing sales. So it was one of those you know, uh, cold call, 100 calls a day, like real grinders, which I actually liked, but I didn't find very fulfilling. And I saw an infomercial on how to buy real estate, no money down at two o'clock in the morning. Carlton Sheets? Um, Carlton Sheets, man. Like, yeah. He's the godfather. Yes, that man has launched more careers than he even knows. Um, not because of his course, but because of like, it, it sort of inspired me. I was like, wow, man, maybe I can be on the beach and rich in 60 days. Now, of course, later I realized that there was a little bit more to it, but but it did inspire me. I'll give him 100% credit for that. So within a few months, I borrowed $1,000 from my only friend, literally, and bought my first house on Capitol Hill. It was a bank-owned property. I did a 203K. I renovated it and sold it and made 40 grand. Now, I thought I was a genius, but I was just lucky. I had no idea what I was doing. I, I easily could have lost 40 grand I didn't have, but I, you know, sometimes you just take the luck you have. And I got lucky and and that propelled my real estate career because my agent who sold the property for me, she said, I think you've got a natural knack here. You really ought to consider getting your license and going into real estate. And I I looked at the, the opportunity in real estate and I thought, yeah, this is a lot better than what I'm doing now. Let me give this a whirl. And man, if you can make $40,000 on every deal, I'm in. Right. And so... <laughs> Now, you know, so now, so the early years for me, I did not have a network here. So I moved from Iowa to Washington, D.C. after I had been touring with an international musical organization called Up With People, which is a a global youth organization. And so I was looking for somewhere other than Iowa. That's it. (laughs) That's it. I I didn't want to be with my parents in the basement anymore. And I knew one person in Baltimore. So off I went to D.C. And so I did not have a network to sell real estate into. So I took what I had learned in the sales business, which was that there's that sales is a numbers formula, that if you make a certain number of contacts, you'll eventually get a sale, which is the very first thing and most important thing I learned from my first sales manager in that other job. And I applied it to real estate. And I literally asked myself, okay, so I need to, I need to get in contact with people who own houses or want to own houses. Where are they? And I literally thought, I remember this, this inspiration. I was like, well, they're probably in them. They're probably in them. So I literally gridded out the neighborhood around my, um, my brokerage office at the time. And I just started knocking on doors because I figured at some point I would run into somebody who would do something with me. And indeed, it took about 120 door knocks, that first go around, to get my first listing. And I remember that first listing now. I'm still in touch with them, the Shotwells. They now live in Virginia. And uh, I remember they. I knocked on the door. They said, come on in. And I was like, 
uh, okay. <laughs> I had no idea what to do. <laughs> I was like, what do I do? So I bumbled my way. I listed their property and I sold it. And I thought, ah, brilliant. So it's 120 to one. So how many listings do I want? And I did the math and I was like, man, I got to be door knocking for like six to seven hours a day. Okay. I mean, I didn't have any, I didn't have any savings. I had no additional resources. I had no backup plan. My parents are educators. So there's no trust fund waiting for me. And, um, so I just made it happen because I had to, and that's literally what I did six to eight hours a day for, um, about a year and a half. And I just knocked on doors. Day of door knocking. Door knocking. Cause I, and I, cause I didn't have a network. And I also hosted open houses on Sunday for the agents who, and the senior agents in my office who no longer wanted to do those open houses. It's and so, I, Go ahead. Sorry. It's so funny. I get asked all the time. Yesterday I was at the school of real estate teaching class to some newer agents about lead generation and uh, probably four different times at about of about 30 people in this classroom. I was asked like, Hey, listen, I'm not from here. How do I actually lead generate? How do I build a sphere? And I'm like, somebody said, well, you can't door knock. It's not safe. No one's home. And I'm like, well, no, actually you can. And I love that. You just said, I'm going to go door knock for six to eight hours a day. That six to eight is, hours a day. That blows my mind. Here's the other thing that mm-hmm. stuck out to me in that Brandon. And, and I hope the listeners catch on to this too. And, and, be, and whether they, whether you know it or not, guys, Brennan is a super high achiever and he's about to tell us kind of how his career has gone, but he just went and did it. If you notice, they said, come on in. He went, uh, okay, I'm not really sure what to do. <laughs> just, you, not, not that you made it up as you went, but you kind of made it up as you went, right? You said, I'm going to go way of opportunity and then figure out what to do with it. I didn't even have a listing agreement with me. I didn't even know what a listing, I literally came in and asked the questions I thought I probably needed to ask ran back to the office broker and said, I think I got one. What do I do? And that's when I put the rest of it together. So yeah, I mean, and part of it, honestly, I would love to say it was some brilliant strategy. It wasn't like I needed to pay my bills. There was no other plan, right? I did not go to a four-year university. By then, after traveling for a couple of years, I wasn't sure I wanted to. I didn't want to take on the debt of doing that. I didn't have the other job. I quit it. Like there wasn't anything. Like so, so part of it was just you know, hey, I, I got to make this work. And I guess I had enough confidence in myself, just enough, to push through the the rejection that comes from that experience. And and then of course you realize how to get through the obstacles. So DC, it's hot. It's cold. It's rainy. Like the weather every day is very different. So you know, I learned the first day I went out in like a suit and tie. But not doing that again like that right <laughs> you can't can't door knock in the summer heat in a suit and tie so i ad- adapted but the basic idea that i now see in hindsight was yeah i was just willing to take action and i noticed compared to my colleagues who often took action too but they take action for like 30 minutes to an hour and a half i was doing it for six to eight hours a day like literally and yeah. that's what was the difference maker, I think, for me. I wasn't brilliant. I just did more of it than anybody else. That's massive action right there. Like, like that's the term that's get used that gets used today. Or um, hustle is is the other word that gets used a lot today, right? That's yeah. massive action. Six to eight hours a day of lead generation. Um, you know, it's so funny. I, I see so many agents in this industry who will um, they'll, they'll practice scripts maybe in the morning, and and they'll call for an hour or two, and then it's lunchtime. And, and for whatever reason, the day seems to be over if they don't have appointments after that. And that part has always baffled my mind. But the common denominator mm-hmm. and something Reed Moore uh, had said to me a couple weeks ago on the, sh- on the same, same show was, I may not be in my business, you know, for more than three or four hours a week at this point, but my schedule is full. Mm-hmm. And it was back then, too, when it was all in the sales business. And so... What I'm hearing is if we're going to get to a point where we actually could get up and go on a listening tour, we could get up and leave the business for three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes the type of massive action that you're referring to, which is knocking on doors for six to eight hours a day and mm-hmm. it's where you don't really know anybody to get your business started. Yeah. I, I think sometimes people look at where I am now, 20 years later, and the things I have, the, the opportunities I have, and they're like, oh, what they don't see is I worked for the first five years of my business, seven days a week. 
between seven and 14 hours a day. I mean, you know, I didn't take any trip, any time off, none. And I remember being super pissed off that everybody was going to brunch and I hadn't been to brunch. Like, but, but you know what? That's what I did. And so the business really got going really, really quickly. And I'm grateful for that. But that early, those early years of putting in the work, not only got the jet off the runway to a large degree and relatively quickly, it also helped train me for later in my career when there would be more times and other times when I'd have to go back in and that level of intensity. And, 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 and I knew I was able to do it. Then I had to do it. Later, I had more optionality, but I had the skill to go back into it and move the business in other increments later down the road. That's funny you say that. That's something that Fred and I have found in our business too. There's times when, you know, you can get a little further away for a while and then then you go, hold on a second, something's adjusting and shifting and it needs more mm-hmm. of me, quite frankly. Yeah. And so you have the ability to go, okay, I'm going to just press into this and I know how to do it because I built that foundation in the early years where 10, 12 hour days, 14 hour days were not, were not uncommon right. at all. So yeah. You built yeah. that muscle up, right? And you've got it. You can give that kind of intensity. So, all right. So, Brandon, so you're you're door knocking. You're starting to get listings because you realize if I knock on 120 doors, I actually end up with somebody who wants to sell a house. Right. I'm assuming you then did that enough times to where you probably needed to start hiring people to help you with all of your business. Yes. Um, so by 2004... Right, one, two, three, one, two, three. Yeah, so three years in. By now, I was doing around seventy deals a year on my own. I had no assistance, um, and and there was no at the time. I was, I was with a firm that there was no training around hiring. That just wasn't really necessarily something you would do. But in two thousand and four, I woke up and I thought, man, I've been grinding super hard for three years now. I am making great money, but I I'm kind of getting tired of working eighty hours a week. And the balls are starting to drop. And I don't feel so good about that. So what do I do? Well, I I was inspired by a trip to Argentina, actually. So by then, I had bought a condo in Argentina. A whole other story. Maybe we'll get to that someday. And I was spending a little bit of time down there um, when, I, when I could. And down there, I was staying with a friend uh, who had hired a bunch of staff to run the household. And I was sitting at the pool on one of my very early few days off and I and I'm looking around at the staff doing a bunch of things and I thought I think I could hire someone like the, the it had never even occurred to me that that was a possibility for me and so I got back home and the very first hire I made was actually a personal assistant I didn't know how to leverage anything in my business but I knew I didn't like to go to the grocery store dry cleaning was piling up like the the the, the landscaper needed to be arranged like there was bunch of personal errands. So my my first hire in 2004 was actually a personal assistant to leverage all that other stuff off. And I kept the business stuff at first. Interesting. I like that. So leverage is leverage, no matter how you look at it, right? And at this point, you're sort of grunting your way through it. You know, you're almost, uh, you know, in in a way, you're almost dragging your knuckles on the ground, like, you know, like a gorilla would and just pure brute force to get through it. And so the first thing I thought is, <clears throat> I don't want to go to the grocery store. So I'm going to, I'm going to leverage that out. I, I mean, that's really smart too. Um, so tell me about that. So what was that first experience like hiring somebody? What did that do for you? What'd you learn from it? And then what happened next? Well, I mean, that first hire there, I had no process. Like literally I met with the guy and I was like, all right, well, let's give this a shot. <laughs> I mean, there was, there was no, <laughs> and, um, uh, and and actually, it worked out brilliantly because he's my husband now. I ended up marrying the guy. Oh. <laughs> yes. Well, how did I not know this part That's, of the story? I know. I don't tell it very often. You never is, told me this. Oh, I know. That is Christian Salinas. He is now my husband and a very successful entrepreneur in his own right. Um, so, yeah, 2004, my first personal assistant became my husband. Not in the model, per se. Yeah. But so <laughs> that is not necessarily a tip. We're going to call that oh, one yeah, the, 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 are we recording? Is this online? Um, We're definitely so, not hiring for our spouse. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. That didn't work. And, you know, that's that's a funny story. I can't believe I didn't know this part of the story, Brandon. Okay. Yes. So you, you hired him. And besides, obviously, the the personal relationship that developed from that. Yes. Well. Business sense, like, what did that do for you? Well, it and actually the personal relationship we began to develop accelerated the business issue, right? Which was wow, I really need somebody to help me on the business side. And so 
he actually started helping me see what I needed help getting done and what other people could do. Because at the time, I literally could not discern what somebody else could do versus what I needed to do. So the very first step that I took was make a list of all the things somebody else probably could do, which now I see was a job description. But at the time, I was like, I'm just making a list of all the things that I think somebody else could do. And then let me find a profile or a person, and that I think it was through Craigslist initially, um, that might be able to do this. And um, so the very first hire, business hire I made actually was a runner. So a part-time runner. And because I thought, well, if I could eliminate, because I was working in my home office, I was like, if I could eliminate a lot of the back and forth and delivering documents, which still a lot of that needed to be physical at the time, uh, that would be great. So my first hire was a runner. My second hire was actually an executive assistant operator who took on all the rest of the admin stuff over time. Okay. And then she over time helped build out the operations department. But so personal assistant, runner, and then, so there was the third hire in that I actually got somebody who had talent and capacity to start to wrangle this beast that I had created into some form of organization. Well, well, what sticks out to me so far about that story is that you, you actually had hired three people and neither of those three were also in sales. None of them. I, I had several agents at the time who wanted to partner with me, be my buyer's agent or showing agent. And, and I couldn't see a path to creating value for them. I realized I needed help, but I, I thought that's going to be a super short-term transaction, right? If I bring somebody on right now just because I'm overwhelmed as a salesperson and I give them deals, not only am I giving a ton of the top-line revenue to them, I also don't know what I'm actually doing other than giving them a deal. And, and, and a broader vision was starting to form right about then which was if I'm going to bring other people into my life, there needs to be a real value proposition. There needs to be something here other than my brilliant personality, right? Like there's got to be something else here that has some substance. And I didn't want to play around with the sales area until I felt like I had operations running at a better level. Cause that was a mess. Wow. Okay. So, so tell me about that. Okay. So let's pick up there. So you're now you've got somebody who's, really the executive assistant you've hired you've hired them as well and and this person's starting to wrangle all of your messes i'm assuming yeah, yeah. which you're probably good at creating a mess is is my guess at this point um and that what happens to your business at that point and what what happened like what happened what are you experiencing well initially i was freaking out because my business stayed the same but my net went down Ooh. right and i was like uh, right. And, and I did not have the perspective to know that that is common in that initial phase as you're starting to learn or iterate. So I was just worried. Right. Though I figured I would, my net was good because it was just me at that time. And then now a couple of assistants figured I would give it more time because I could see that I was learning, they were learning and things seemed to be getting better week by week, month by month. And uh, as soon as I started to have enough personal ability to let go of control, <laughs> then my net started to go back up. So my net going down wasn't their issue. It was my control issue. So now instead of me, just me being on the file, now like three of us were literally playing tug of war on the file, which put in a ton of extra pressure on the business. So when I finally let go of the files and said, hey, uh, you got it, and I'm going to just close my eyes and hope and pray everything's okay, and I'm going to go out and show more properties or take more listings and deal with the ramifications of any mistakes they make later down the road, I realized two things. One is they didn't really make that many mistakes. And two, the mistakes they made weren't all that severe, and it was just sort of part of their learning experience. And the trade-off I got, though, like, okay, you're going to make five mistakes this week, but I'm taking five more listings. Like, I'm going to take the five more listings because the trade-off was great. Yeah. And so I, I actually ran that for another two years before I added anybody in the sales department. So it took wow. us two years to get operations down, and it was just me, myself, and I and the assistants before uh, somebody finally got through to me and came on board as a buyer agent. Got it. Okay. So, so then 
Tell me about, uh, and, and we don't have to go into this great of detail with it, if, uh, but tell me about how does your career start to progress now? So yeah. you're, you're a couple years in, five years in, if I did my math right, you, you're found, you've now brought on your first salesperson. What, like, what's the volume? What are you doing or transaction count? What are you doing at this point? And what's the next big thing in your business that, that occurs? So, you know, I look at stage one was personal production and management of a schedule and, and personal energy, right? Stage two was figure out how to hire and manage operational staff and, and deal with kind of how that all comes together. That brought us to stage three then, which was managing salespeople, hiring and integrating and managing salespeople, which was the next big, huge phase for me. And, and that lasted six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That was probably a five-year phase, this next phase okay. of, of uh, bringing agents on, losing them, bringing them on, losing them, bringing more on, losing those two. And just five years of on and off, on and off, on and off. And, and what was happening was I was not only figuring out how to make the business a better business and more attractive for people to exist in, but I was also learning how to be a leader and 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 what that meant. And it's one thing to manage an employee, it's another to lead an independent contractor. And I started to realize that was incredibly different. So yeah. this next phase, which really shot my production up, you know, it was like 12 was my first year, it was like 20 and 40 and then 60 and 80. Like it was really going up rapidly as I was adding more people to the team and, and started to play around with how do you build out a sales enterprise and start to teach other people how to do the stuff that I had learned one way or the other myself. And that, that, that was a, a solid five-year chapter so, of, of iterating that. Tell me this, Brandon, because, you know, number one, <laughs> I think a lot of us who, who, have, who have had a team or been on a team can relate to what you talked about learning through that five years, right? You were really getting an education. Um, in some cases, a heartache plus an education and, and yeah. paying dearly for it in a lot of ways, which is why this game is not for the for the weak of heart, right? And so, I, I guess what, what's the what what is the message that you think now that you've gone past this, right? What if you had somebody, not a new agent, but maybe if you could go back to the to the Brandon Green of say two thousand three, who's on the cusp of really building something good, but afraid to let go of control and afraid mm -hmm. to. I don't want to say you were afraid to bring somebody on. You were unwilling to bring somebody on because you didn't believe that you could provide the value to them. What would you say to that, Brandon Green, knowing what you know now? I, I'm very clear on that. I've given that a lot of thought. And I would say to that, Brandon Green, or any, anybody who's in that phase, all of this needs to be informed by some vision. I, I didn't really have a vision for what I was doing. My, my vision was, can I get this to be bigger and more? And that's not actually a vision. That's, you know, and, and so what I would say is formulate a vision around what you're trying to build and uh, understand that there are a couple key inflection points where critical decisions need to be made. And let me tell you about this. So I actually think that in the building of these sales enterprises, there is, there's probably three major inflection points. One is whether you decide to hire anybody or do anything at all and move out a solo agent into something more. Okay. Two is when you have when you have got like two to four people around you in an operational capacity and a sales capacity, I think that's where you really need to take a, a minute to think about what do I do with this? Because you either need to keep it there because the margins there are amazing. The connection and synergy for that team of four is can be amazing. It's like a family unit. You yeah. can run that for years. Or you need to decide to build a large, scalable, leverageable enterprise. But you can't get caught in the middle. I got caught in the middle for five years because I had no vision for what beyond the middle looked like. And I see a lot of agents do this where they just keep adding people and then it collapses. And they add people and they collapse. And I say, hey, look, if you're not willing to run the whole, the whole board here and build a substantial, scalable, leverageable enterprise, then, then don't get caught in the middle keep it at four. It's like either keep it at four or get to 400, but anything in between painful. Is, is painful. It's going to suck on your margin. You're going to be filled with people issues and wonder why you're doing it. 
So that's what I would say to that Brandon Green or anybody who's in that position, which is, hey, keep it at four and use the cash you generate from that amazing uh, cash machine and invest in other things and, and, and build your real estate portfolio and other businesses or take it from four and get it to 40. I don't know that you need to get to 400, but you, you need to get it sizable enough that right. it's no longer dependent on you. You can't stop at 10. You can't stop at 15. I don't even think you can stop at 20 because you can never then transcend the personal nature of these businesses when you get stuck in the middle and scale. Couldn't agree more. So, okay, that's good. So fast forward, tell me about like, what does your enterprise, at least in real estate, look like today? Yes. So um, today it consists of a couple different components. One is the sales enterprise component, still active today, did 130 million last year. My role in that is very limited at this point. Um, I still work my database, as I think when you're in this business, you always do forever. I'm not sure anybody never, unless you exit the business, I don't think you, like, so I still work my database. I provide a lot of business. I do some coaching and consulting with the team, but we've got somebody who's leading and running that team. So I'm probably spending five hours a week, maybe, maybe that's actually probably too many, probably two hours a week on the sales enterprise. Um, and it's Washington, D.C. based. We have not expanded to a lot of different areas yet. That is something that we're looking at. But we've been working to find the right person who's going to take that charge rather than any of us putting it on our backs. Yep. Um, then we have eight brokerage locations in D.C., Maryland and Virginia. So different real estate offices, Keller Williams Market Centers. And um, that's about a thousand associates uh, uh, in that group right there. And um, that's the biggest sizable part. And then we've got some, we've got two title company um, affiliations and ownership. We have a real estate portfolio. Um, my husband, Christian, now owns a very successful home staging and interior design business that I'm, I help them a lot with the back end financial models and so forth. And then randomly, a bed and breakfast up in Maryland, which is for sale. Um, so. <laughs> We won't go there today. Yeah, it's a different call. Uh, so that <laughs> I'm not so qualified to have that conversation. I don't think. <laughs> uh, so you can imagine. Uh, so that's that's what the the real estate world looks like now. Cool. And um, so I'm super excited and proud about what the team has built around all of that over the last two decades, and excited about how that continues to move forward into the future. Awesome. So one of the things that I, when I think of you. Um, I was like, I, I always reflect back to the time that you came to Tempe and, and taught. So I used to own a, a, a brokerage as well. And one of the things I always did for that brokerage was make sure I could get the best of the best in the industry to come in and teach whatever they were passionate about. Hmm. And and I'm lucky because you make it to, to Phoenix a few times a year, at least. Yeah. Yes. And, and so I remember one time we connected on one of those trips and this was this was over five years ago now. And and you came in and you taught Maxwell's uh, five levels of leadership. Right. And, and I'll, that was a very impactful day for me. Uh, it was, and for me, that was the first time where I felt really connected to you. Um, and I saw you as not just the guy who sat in the same mastermind room that I was in and the guy who I knew ran a very successful business, but as a guy who really loved to give back and, and loved to, give to people. And so talk to me about when did you start speaking? Where did, where did that come from? Was that just natural? Um, are you doing a lot of speaking now? Talk, talk to me about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, speaking and teaching has always come really natural to me. I, I'll give credit to my dad. My dad was a teacher and then a, a principal and then a superintendent. And so I, I saw a lot of the modeling around teaching as a, as a, a young man, as I was growing up. And then in high school for a job, I taught piano. That was my my that was my job was teaching oh. piano lessons, and and so I love to teach. And so part of what I've always incorporated into everything I'm doing is a pretty fair amount of teaching and speaking. It gives me a ton of energy. It also gives me a lot of perspective. So if you're a teacher or speaker, you know when you're in that mode in that room, you're learning as much as the students are. So selfishly it's an amazing way for me to stay sharp on my skills and to stay connected and keep perspective because it's 
you can't with any authenticity go in and teach something that you don't either practice or disclose to the room you're not practicing it, <laughs> right? And so there's there's a level of alignment with myself that comes from teaching and speaking. So I'm doing a fair amount of that now. I, you know, I I did a lot of it this summer, and and I'll definitely do some more of that next year in the real estate offices and also in other places. I mean, I got a couple calls yesterday <clears throat> from non real estate agent or real estate businesses. One is a law firm, the other is a CPA firm, and they they want me to come in and talk about prioritization and focus for a couple hours. So I'm enjoying that. And I, I see that as a conduit to stay connected to people and to business and to sort of what's going on in the world. Well, fantastic. So really quickly, and, and we've still got a few minutes left, but not a ton. Um, I know you've got, we've, we've both got uh, commitments right after this conversation, but uh, for, for those of you who are interested in, Hey, I want to hear Brandon speak. Um, check, check out, then just go to brandongreen.com and either inquire about that. Can they yep. see dates there? Uh, no, just go to brandongreen.com and go to the contact form and fill it out. It comes directly to me. I set up brandongreen.com as sort of a personal landing page for all the things that are more oriented to me and not the various businesses. But you can also follow my blog on brandongreen.com. I've been doing a lot of blogging about my personal journey or as I've been thinking about the future and the business and business in general and repositioning myself. But that would be a great way to find me on various social media platforms and then reach out to me. Fantastic. So um, tell me what's your, this is just a, this is, this one's for me. What's okay. your favorite thing to teach? So I saw you sure. teach Maxwell's five levels of leadership. Uh, I know you've taught many other things. Some are curriculum that, that somebody else wrote, some of its curriculum that you've wrote or experiences that you've shared. What's your favorite thing, topic, whatever to, to teach on in front of a, in the front of the room? Yeah. So the audience I love are entrepreneurs, right? That's definitely my group. And the two topics that, that I'm really passionate about, one is team building, organizational building and in, in, in your leadership journey in that. And how, how do you actually go from a salesperson or a personal production person to a person who owns and runs a larger enterprise and what's the leadership journey around all that. So the topics around that are great. And the others are financials. So financials for me are very personal because I, well, for all of us really, uh, I didn't get any business training anywhere. And so when I got into real estate, I, I'll give you an example. I, I did not know that my taxes were not being withheld that first year. I was like, wow, these checks are huge. This is amazing, right? Until April of the following year, when the CPA was like, yeah, you owe, I don't know, it was like 60 grand or something to the IRS. And I was like, what? Right, 60 grand I did not have. And there were several points in my career for the first, uh, I'd say eight years, where I made some big financial mistakes. And so now I am very passionate about teaching entrepreneurs who don't normally like to see or talk a lot about numbers, uh, financials and how to, how to run a solid financial enterprise. So I've been doing a lot more of that in terms of consulting and also speaking about the, the financial side of making this work. So people side, financial side tend to be the, the two areas that I focus on. That's awesome, man. I, I love hearing that. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I think I know a few people, a few of our listeners can probably, I'm guessing, just based on our demographic, relate to that. Wait, I owe what to the I owe, I owe what? Yeah. And I, the aha I had, and I credit this to my financial advisor, I said to him, I was like, you know, I rely on people to do this for me because I don't necessarily understand it or I'm not so good with numbers. And he said to me, he goes, Hmm. And so tell me again, what are your wealth ambitions? And I told him, I'm like, I want to be a billionaire. And he said, okay, so can you name one billionaire who says, I rely on other people to manage my money. I don't even know what all that stuff's about, or I don't even understand numbers. And, and I was like, whoa, right. The level of my, my financial ambition did not match my effort or and not even close, my understanding of financials. So I'm I'm huge on that right now and saying, hey, if you want to be a millionaire, a billionaire, or anything heir, like you cannot have the the thinking construct of, well, you know, somebody else will do those. I'm not good with numbers. I'll just go sell houses. It, it, you won't actually progress financially very far with that attitude. So 
that's been my personal journey. And so I'm very passionate about that topic. Awesome. Well, hey, man, we're running out of time. I have one more question for you. And then uh, I want to also give you the opportunity if there's anything that is just a burning desire that you have uh, been wanting to share or speak about. I want I want to give you the opportunity to share that if you, if you have something. But uh, this next question or this last question I have for you stems from actually from one of my favorite podcasts uh, from someone that's made an impact in my life. His name is Dave Asprey and uh, on a show called Bulletproof Radio. And yeah. one of the things he asks every single guest is, hey, listen, what are the I'm, – I'm asking as you, just Brandy Green, what are the three pieces of advice you would give to me for just generally kicking more ass in life? Just what are the three tips that if I just nail these things, I'm going to generally do more, achieve more, feel more, et cetera? So I'll tell you where – this is where I'd go with that. Tip one is you have to think of your mind and your thoughts like your body or like your favorite car or, or favorite whatever. It requires your mind and your thoughts require constant attention and maintenance. And that thinking effectively to build something of size and scale and substance and success is a daily maintenance routine activity. Right. It's like if you don't change your oil in your car, eventually it's going to break down. It's the same in your mind and your thoughts. So uh, positive thinking is one thing, but I'm a much more practical guy. I think about how do I fine tune the awareness of and the construction of my thoughts on a daily basis. I'm literally programming myself every day, twice a day in the morning when I get up and at night when I go to bed, a basic based on the thoughts that I want to have. So one would be around how you're thinking. The second is how you're actually executing. So thinking is great, but if all you do is think, nothing's going to happen. You've got to take corresponding action associated with that and deal with whatever's going on in your life that prevents you from doing it. So we all have obstacles. Some of them are self-driven. Some of them are imposed upon us and that we have to try to figure out. But you've got to clear whatever obstacle it is that's getting in the way of you literally taking action for six to eight hours, six to eight hours a day. There's just no way around it. And in my experience, that is a critical missing element to people's ability to match the success that they actually desire for themselves. And the third is, I would say, you can't lose yourself along the way. There, the, a routine of personal care and, and maintenance is so important. So for me, I and I learned this through having a real difficult physical experience several years ago, I now have a personal stress management routine. So I have acupuncture once a month. I get a massage once a month. I go to the gym three to four days a week, and I meditate once a day. And I always, almost always, unless it's a real unusual situation, get a solid seven hours of sleep. And then uh, my water bottles back here. I have these water bottles. I, I drink three large ones a day. So I think of that as I've got to like maintain this, this thing and that, that personal routine of rest, relaxation, recharge, especially for the hard chargers and the achievers is often underrated, but it eventually catches up with you. And so if you can kick into that early on, then I think the game can run longer. You know, you know, it's funny. First of all, I thought you were going to say you go to the gym once a month, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you know, you 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 didn't say this word. I'm going to say it because it's the word I use. Uh, uh, like mindfulness uh, is something that you're very clearly to me focusing on, uh, whether that be through meditation or, or any other sort of stress management. And one one thing I've learned, somebody asked me the other day. Uh, I, I'm in a I'm in a uh, mastermind for it's non real estate and it's called the Genius Network. So it's it's entrepreneurs from I don't know probably a hundred plus different fields. Anything from internet marketers to Dave Asprey, who is the pod, podcast I just mentioned, who owns a supplement company, uh, to electrical engineers, you name it, all different walks of life. Tony Robbins, people like that, and. Um, one of the number one things I've noticed after my first year in that group is that some folks that have had some mass, I would consider to be massively successful have all made that a priority. And they, a lot of them had wished they had made it a priority earlier in their life. Mm -hmm. So that is something that I've picked up on and struggled with and worked to get better with this year as well. And so that, that stuck out to me 
Um, I want to go back really quick to point number one, fine tune your thoughts. You said, do you have like any, are there like, is there any hacks or using any apps? Is there a certain routine that you do? Because you said something about twice a day. Um, what is it that you yeah. do to fine tune your thoughts uh, twice a day? So I, over time, with the help of my coach, I created what I call my truth document. And my truth document is a written document. Okay. And I, I have recorded myself speaking it, and I read it twice a day. So right as I'm waking up, like I'm still a little sleepy, before you do anything in the morning, I'm reading my document. And then just as I'm going into sleep, because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get these very purposefully crafted words about my life and my future into the unconscious, right? And just as that window before sleep and, and as you're waking up is open a little bit, I'm programming that in. And the other thing I do is I use mygratitudebuddy.com, which is a little website you can set up for things you want to tell yourself throughout the day. And it sends you text and or emails at various points in the day that, you know, often tend to show up at just the most opportune times. So for example, this morning's text was, Brandon, you build top performing leaders who change the world by taking on new opportunities perfect for them. I got that text this morning at 10.53 a.m. So awesome. I'm bombarding myself with these thoughts throughout the day as both a defensive mechanism and an offensive mechanism. Yeah, I get that. I see that, that's huge. Well, Brandon, I, number one, man, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your friendship on a on a high level, and I appreciate the, your leadership too that you uh, put out there for those of us in, in not just in our industry, but really outside of real estate as well. And I, I just want to thank you. And uh, and just if there's anything else that you'd like to share with us, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And but most importantly, I just want to express my gratitude to you for uh, coming on here and sharing with us for a little while. Well, thank you. I, I, and I'll express my gratitude back to you for launching this podcast and, and for what you're doing here. You, you have so many great conversations and you're so well connected. I am thrilled that you're taking this now to be a lot more public. I think that's a huge service to, to, the, to the world generally. And I really appreciate you doing that. And I appreciate your friendship too. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, hey, man, thanks a bunch. Uh, Next Level Agents, I know you enjoyed this one. And feel free to reach out to Brandon on brandongreen.com. Uh, I know he does a little bit of consulting, not a ton, because he's very clear about what he does with his time. But he's consulting, speaking, etc. cetera. Uh, you can follow his blog there, which are what I love about Brandon's blog posts is they're thoughtful. Every single one of them are very thoughtful and very inflective. I can tell that you put some time and thought into the words that you are putting into your blog post. So uh, check them out at brandongreen.com. Follow him on Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, everywhere else you can find him. And uh, thank you so much, Brandon. I had so much fun today, man. Thanks, Kevin. This is awesome. We'll talk to you soon, guys. Okay.